Welcome to Discourse, a GBC original podcast that explores multiple perspectives to think deeply and connect honestly. I'm Anne Song. And I'm Sarika Narayanzai. On the agenda today, Anne and I will be touching base on pop culture as usual. We're also going to be talking about Earth Hour and an excellent essay by Maya Singer called The Clothing Insurrection. It's time to take on the fashion supply chain. Lastly, we're going to give readers some exam tips and talk about grit via Angela Lee Duckworth's TED Talk, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. So, Sarika, before we jump into uh, pop culture, what's going on on Twitter, Instagram, and what have you, just want to say a quick thank you, don't we, to uh, the dialogue, this student newspaper, uh, especially Anne-Maria Averachen's uh, piece about us. Did you see our photo? Yeah, we look cute. <laughs> yeah, I, li- I like the photo. I know it's a little bit of a yellow background because we were actually at Neo, the coffee, coffee shop near St. James, um, and they have kind of like golden lighting in there mm-hmm. but I think I'm very happy with the photo absolutely she was quite Anne Maria is quite the photographer um and it was really great to meet her and we're we really do appreciate the curiosity that everyone has sort of um aroused for yeah. discourse yeah I we're very grateful um you know this is something that started off uh, as a classroom project. And for those of you who don't know, we started off uh, this course to model for our students what it means to have fun academic conversations Mm -hmm. about challenging and difficult topics. And it's kind of from there become something of its own, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, I think, a a really great way for the comm faculty and a lot of the students who are taking communications to listen to academic discussions. So again, thank you, Dialogue, and thank you, Anne-Maria, for giving us some publicity. And uh, hopefully, you know, this is something that you can share with your friends and family, and it's something that unites the GBC community together. Thank you. Yes. I noticed that you tweeted for the first time. I know. <laughs> How okay. was it? Um, so first of all, I want to thank you, Sarika. What for, are you talking about? For teaching me Twitter. As well as some other faculty members like Peggy. Hi, Peggy. Uh, <laughs> uh, for teaching me how to retweet and, and um, quote tweets. It's It's been a challenge. It's it's a different world, right? Yeah, it's a whole other world. It takes practice. It takes figuring out, and I'm still I'm still getting used to it. But I have to say, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of information too. Like, have you noticed just your Twitter feed is just like news, article, opinion? Oh my gosh! Yes, yes, and the internet is a beautiful place. Totally. But also very overwhelming because Twitter, I'm noticing, is just content after content after content, uh, which is great. 
But I can see why it's like information overload. Yeah. And it's hard to sort of like filter and distill like, okay, I'm going to read this later. I'm going to read this now. It's like, oh my goodness. I need to mark. Oh my goodness. I have already uh, emailed myself and like bookmarked so many essays that I want to read because I want to potentially use for the students in the summertime and for yeah. September. Because as, as, as you know, as professors, most of our job is, well, aside from marking and lecture and prep and things like that, uh, curating. Totally. Yeah, so we're constantly looking for content, constantly looking for essays that are relatable uh, for our specific cohorts of students. So it's it's been a whirlwind, but I'm, I'm really loving it. Mm-hmm. So thank you for teaching me Twitter. <laughs> I'm more than happy to. Um, okay, so besides Twitter, what else is going on in the pop culture world for you? Um. Kendrick Lamar released his humble music video, which was phenomenal. I it was just so beautifully done. Uh, we, we, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, what else happened? Kendall Jenner and Pepsi happened. Yeah. Okay. So I saw that on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I tried to look for the well. Of ad, course you did. Of course. <laughs> uh, I tried to look for the ad. And I couldn't find it. Like, what was that all about? Yeah. So, uh, so I did not know they pulled it down. I mean, I think they pulled it down. Yeah. I, I couldn't find it. Okay, so people were pretty upset on Twitter, and, and understandably so. So basically, it's a Pepsi commercial, and Kendall Jenner is the main face of it, and they've kind of taken on um, – the, the the setting is like a protest, right? And it's very clearly inspired from Black Lives Matter protests. And, you know, you have all these people, um, not a lot of black people – Main, it's a multi, very um, diverse group of people, I guess I could say, uh, who are, you know, charging in front of cops. And you see a line of police officers, very, very, you know, aggressive looking standing there. And then Kendall Jenner walks over and just gives a cop a Pepsi, a can of Pepsi. And then everyone starts to celebrate. Oh, so, so Pepsi is the solution? Apparently, yeah. On Twitter, I've been seeing a lot of um, hashtag Pepsi uh, posts, tweets, and, you know, a lot of people are putting out these images of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and, uh, you know, protesters, and people are saying things like, if only they knew about the power of Pepsi. So it's exactly like what you're saying. It's like, I guess Pepsi was a solution that we did not know. You would have thought, though, that Pepsi would have more sort of like better public relations or just yeah it's surprising how tone deaf um the ad was and how insensitive it was to bigger issues that's happening in the states right now like it was inappropriate I, i i think it was inappropriate it was it's making light of a very difficult um flashpoint i think for ourselves mm-hmm so, Sarika, what about you? Anything that's um, been interesting for you in terms of pop culture stuff? Um, I haven't had a lot of time to really listen or watch a lot of things. Uh, we did, however, just finish Big Little Lies. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's an adaptation of Leanne Moriarty's novel, mm-hmm. and it's an HBO series. It was really well done. It was, it's just seven episodes, but... It's almost like seven really intense chapters. Okay, how long how long is each episode? 
I'd say about 50 minutes. Okay. Yeah. The music is so on point. Hmm. Really. I love it when the soundtrack is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very good music. Um, Zoe Kravitz is on it. Wow. Yeah. It's it's actually a lot of stars. I really like her. Stars. Yeah. No, she's, she's beautiful. She's great. Um, there's Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. who plays, I don't want to ruin it, but everyone knows she's an abused wife. Okay. Um, Reese Witherspoon is on it and Shailene Woodley. Okay. And so it just, it's, it revolves around this kind of like whodunit murder mystery. And then it, so it begins at the end and then it traces back and looks at what the motives may have been mm-hmm. for each of the characters to commit this murder. Hmm. So it's very interesting. And the series is now over? It's over. So you watched the finale? We're, yeah, it's done. Is there going to be a season two or no? No. Interesting. I know. I know. I've been, again, seeing it a lot on Twitter. <laughs> the Twitter. Yeah. So it's definitely something I told myself, like, I should get into this. Absolutely. And it's, it's beautiful to see um, an adaptation of a novel. Yeah. And I remember, like, just being in the bathroom, like, thinking about these characters. It's, like, it's one of those those series or those novels that you think about the characters mm-hmm. and you wonder about them. You wonder, like, oh, could it be so-and-so? Well, maybe, like, they haven't met yet. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and that's one of the beauties of whodunits, right? Like, you, you have to... You are the detective, too. Yeah. And very much a participant because you're pulling pieces together. Exactly. And trying to figure out the narrative. Yeah. And the character development is beautiful. Wow. Okay. This is on my list. Last watch. So, Sirika, before we move on to Mia Singer's piece, just want to ask you, why is it important for you that we talk about uh, popular culture? Like, we talk about shows, celebrities, uh, you know, hip-hop, whatever it is, you know, what's going on on Twitter. Like, why, why should we care? Like, not just you and me, but our viewers care about pop culture. That's a really good question. Um, and I guess I've thought about it too. Like when I was in university, I was like studying so hard that I lost touch with pop culture. Oh yeah, I know. And I felt like I couldn't relate to my peers and I couldn't relate to people that were you know younger than me and people who were older than me. Mm. Which is to say, I think it's super important that we we listen to each other about pop culture and what other people are listening to or reading or watching because pop culture unifies us. Yeah. It's that common ground where, yeah, it's mainstream, it's popular, but it's part of our social popular consciousness, right? Right. It's what, as like the masses, like all of us, yeah. uh, we consume the most. Exactly. Right. And I feel like when people withdraw from it or they look down on it, like them wanting to be on the fringes, it creates a divide and mm-hmm. it's that elitist mentality. Yeah. Of, you know, I'm superior at looking down on you. Oh, you're just part of the masses. Or like this is lowbrow. Yeah, I don't I find that very yeah. insulting. Um I've always been a postmodernist. Like I don't think about traditional art or mm-hmm. new art. Like it's right. It's all worthy of our attention. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important for me that we talk about it because 
I, just like you, inherently believe that there is so much cultural value in what we consider quote-unquote lowbrow or popular culture because it definitely is a reflection of our assumptions, uh, our power structures, our moral views, like all of our different perspectives as a a community. It's reflected there Mm -hmm. in pop culture. And in, 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 in the same way, that pop culture also then shapes us. Yeah. Because it's what we consume. It, it's You cannot uh, divorce yourself from it. No. And we negotiate with it. Mm-hmm. In the same way that we're negotiating that Pepsi ad. Like, what do we agree with? What do we disagree with? Why right. do we disagree with it? Right. So I guess to add to that, then it's for students, it's not so much about rejecting it and thinking, oh, this is inferior to that, but more about how do we as critical readers and thinkers approach various different types of art. Right. We need to have, you know, like that media literacy mm-hmm. aspect too. If they show love, I'ma show it back. If the catch is too small, I'ma throw it back. I've done a lot, but I ain't got a lot to show for that. Alright, yeah, let's do that again. If they show love, I'ma show it back. If the catch is too small, I'ma throw it back. I've done a lot, but I ain't got a lot to show for that. Alright, yeah, let's get into it. Okay, Anne, so before we get into Singer's article, Mm -hmm. which I think is very timely because March 25th, 8.30, where were you? Was March 25th, oh, what day was that? I know, I know. I'm so sorry. I'm putting you on the spot. It was (gasps) Earth Hour. Oh, okay. I I feel like, okay, I'm going to find out where I was. Let me just open my calendar. It was a Saturday. I think I was home. And I'm pretty sure you turned your lights off. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you did. Because um, I sent you that reminder. Yeah, you did. Um, did you tweet me? I did. <laughs> um, I love how this is our main way of communicating now. Absolutely. My little bird goes off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was Earth Hour. And I know like even our students who live at the George, mm-hmm. they celebrated by um, have, observing a candlelit dinner. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, you know, I think we all need to do our part to, um, you know, try to fix climate change or not fix it, but at least try to cushion the change. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know a lot of my students who are chefs, they are really concerned about food waste. So I teach students who are in fashion studies at Casa Loma, and many of them are writing about fashion and environmental impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... You know, some of them are talking about actually how does fashion and fashion waste impact uh, the physical world, uh, Mm -hmm. the physical environment? How does it impact sometimes when we think of supply chain? Also, how does it impact the the humans working in these supply chains? Right. Uh, And as well as animals. So, yeah, a lot of people are actually talking about this topic for their essay. So what I thought was so great about Singer's essay, um, just to summarize it, mm-hmm. she is almost radically, but also compassionately calling on readers, Vogue readers specifically, to take fashion more seriously, right? Her title is very um, arousing. Right, and, and, and political. And very political. It's called The Clothing Insurrection. Right, this violent uprising. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's really literally taking off the the blinds 
Um, Because I think that a lot of us, we don't really know where our clothes come from. We don't. Yeah. I have, and I have to be the first to admit, I am very guilty of this. When we are surrounded by fast fashion clothing lines like Zara, Forever 21, uh, you know, H&M, it's, it's so easy to just go and pick up a $5 shirt without thinking anything about it. Right. And I think, I mean, Singer kind of basically tells us this is strategic on the part of big business, right? There's actually like 101 steps in the supply chain. We don't know that. Um, and so she she really awakens us to that reality. The supply chain is complicated. I knew that. But Singer definitely goes into the details of how intricate and complex uh, this whole system is, right? It's no longer the simple, you know, she says in paragraph three, you know, back in the day, it's kind of funny, she says, quote, back in ye old days, the fashion supply chain was straightforward. A farmer shears his sheep for wool, a village weaver makes into fabric, a tailor buys a fabric, etc., etc. And then she goes, end quote, and then she goes, you know, now that feudalism is over and globalization happened, it's, it's a lot more complicated. And you know, she says here in paragraph four, right after that, quote, millions of people and metric tons of water, chemicals, crops, and oil are involved in the process that turns a designer's fancy into a sensuous object hanging on a rail in a store, end quote. I'm just reading to you what's on paragraph three and four, but the rest of the piece is going to now details about how big this is beyond us, mm-hmm. uh, the magnitude of the supply chain that you don't really think about, even though it's a huge global uh, issue, you know, you pick it up at Forever 21 and you think, oh, it's $5. Well, I really appreciated um, Singer's voice. Yeah. I thought it was so distinct um, and identifiable. And even when she, I thought kind of as a reader, like she was going to get a little bit preachy, mm-hmm. especially in paragraph eight, she talks about genes that are, quote, seemingly innocuous, but not. Um, but then she has right after that, she kind of anticipates what I was thinking as a reader. Right. Where I just, I'm so annoyed by the, by the fact that she's talking about something that I do. And I wanted to be like, well, you know, that's just how it is. That's what we do. And she totally anticipated that. Yeah. Um, and it, she knows her audience. Absolutely. And by doing that, she makes it relatable. And she does uh, pointedly say, you know, I'm just as guilty as you are. Like she had to struggle not to make that online purchase. And, you know, I've got some things sitting in my J. Crew card right now, but <laughs> I'm not going to buy it. Yeah. I, and I think she's very aware of the fact that in the world of online shopping. Now that changes things even more. Oh, Amazon? Oh my gosh. The demand is a lot more yeah. than, you know, when we used to walk into a store or buy things off the runway. It's now everyone just click, click, click. You don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. And she's very well aware of that. And things can arrive literally tomorrow. Oh yeah, with Amazon Prime. With Amazon Prime. And it's it's <laughs> it's scary and the implications on, on the planet and on human resources is is scary. Um, and I, I'm glad that we read this and we're more conscious of it. Yeah. And, and it's going back to your point about how she, her tone was approachable, relatable. It wasn't too preachy. And, and you know, her knowing her audience. Later on towards the end in paragraph 17 to 19, this is where she talks about 
I'm not saying you shouldn't buy stuff.、Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying you should boycott all the brands that you know may be guilty of this because most brands are guilty of this. Right.、Uh, she's saying here, just make sure you take fashion seriously, more seriously now than ever before, because. Everything you buy, there are environmental and being environmental, therefore political implications to that. Although I do want to also add, she's not very concrete about actual solutions, like actual ways we can, as shoppers, be more political about these things. Right. I mean, I feel like she sort of gestured to the fact that. The supply chain, the fact that these this fast fashion exists, is not the only problem.、Mm-hmm. It's also the fact that we have this extremely high demand for it.、Mm-hmm. But it's kind of true. She doesn't really pinpoint. Okay, well, you know what? Really, a lot of this demand is generated by advertising and marketing. Right. Right. We are manipulated into thinking that we want this instantaneous or instant gratification of fashion.、Yeah. And by by letting ourselves to be manip- manipulated, we're also then complicit. Exactly, and so that's what you're trying. What you were saying, right?、Mm-hmm. Like we need to take fashion seriously to the extent of being. I hate to say this, being more mindful and, and socially conscious. Yes, of these consequences. Yeah, I just wish that she gave us more concrete ways、uh, for us to be conscious. But right,、uh, I guess you know. I'm not sure she knows herself. Like, there's no easy solution to this. Again, because she's trying to show us how how big of an issue this is. Like, the magnitude is so、uh, immense that it's almost like, what do we do? Right. It's a, it's a cultural phenomena in some ways, right? This constant desire.、Mm-hmm. How do you change that? That's that's hard.、Um, so I guess where we can start is to, like you said.、Uh, Can put things into your online cart, but really think about whether or not you really need it. Totally. And Valley Village. Yes, recycling. Recycling. If it's love, there is no in between. Okay, Sirika. Last but not least, we do want to talk about Angela Lee Duckworth's ideas about grit.、Uh, do you want to, for our listeners, define grit for us, and then we're going to relate this to why this is so important during this very、uh, stressful exam period that most of our students are experiencing right now? Absolutely. So I'm going to paraphrase Duckworth actually. Um, who says that grit is essentially stamina,、hmm. right? It's、mm-hmm. this burning passion, perseverance, resilience, this motivation to keep going, not just for a sprint, as she calls it, but for a marathon.、Mm-hmm. So setting these long-term goals and just keeping at it. Yeah.、Uh, so having your eyes on the future、Absolutely. and what you really want and Being open to the idea that this is going to be challenging, this is going to be a lot of work. There will be failures on the way, but I'm going to go at it and be steadfast in that focus. Yes. Why is grit important? 
for our students at this mo- very moment, do you think? I think grit's really important because this is, if we think about the semester as a marathon, mm-hmm. they're approaching the finishing line. Yeah. Right? And, you know, a lot of, not a, a, a great deal of doing well academically is showing up. And that means coming to class. That means following up with those Blackboard PowerPoints and notes. That means touching base with your prof. Mm -hmm. And that means coming to the final exam. Yeah. And writing that final exam. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's going to be hard. No one said this was going to be easy. And it wasn't easy for us. Mm -hmm. When you put your head down and you keep at it, you can get through it. We're here to support you. Yeah, I think... I, I like the idea of grit, and I really enjoy this TED Talk because it's a great reminder that being successful in school or being successful at anything um, is not so much about how high your IQ is. Like how high your marks are? Or just like how smart you are. I understand. Right? Like I understand. You know, some students... Uh, And there was a point in my life where I felt this way too, where I felt, I'm not naturally smart. Maybe I'm not up for this task. Maybe I should quit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not saying that IQ is not a real thing. And neither is Angela Lee Duckworth. Uh, Yes, it is a factor, obviously. And there's uh, many factors, including circumstances uh, that you're put into, um, your environment, etc. But what's so fascinating with grit is this idea of, and that I appreciate, is that when it comes to being successful in school, it really comes down to your work ethic. Totally. Like, you have to be willing and you have to be okay with the idea that you have to work hard. Studying, I really do believe, it com- it's labor. It is labor. It, it's, it's strenuous mm-hmm. and it's, no, it's not a stroll through the park. It's you actually have to put work into it uh, and you have to be okay with that idea yeah and I think also you need to be okay with failing Mm -hmm. you need to be okay with not being perfect right away all at once but learning from those mistakes and reminding yourself okay I may not I may not have done well here but my goal is over there and this is just part of the process Exactly. How can I grow from this? How can I continue this marathon to get where I want to be? Exactly. It's like training for the marathon, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is a stepping stone. Yeah, you might falter, you might slip, but then you know next time, hey, there's a little bump in the road here. Just make sure you're you're hopping over it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Use that technique. Right. And it's, I could see why the idea of grit can be discouraging for some because it's like, oh my gosh, I have to work really hard. But at the same time, it's so liberating because you're no longer condemned to this idea that, okay, it's about me being, you know, you could only do well in school if you're natural, quote unquote, naturally smart, because that's not true, right? When you see the power of grit and you see the power of uh, work ethic and practice, it's liberating because then anybody can learn it and anybody can do it. Yeah. And I think, you know, that really resonates with me because I also have felt this is really hard. This doesn't come naturally to me. And I I don't know what people are doing 
to get those high marks. Mm-hmm. I just know I want those high marks. I just don't know how to get there. Mm. Um, but what I found really liberating through studying and through a lot of trial and error, to be honest, mm-hmm. is if I keep at it, I can actually get better at it. Yeah. Like my brain can improve. It can grow. It's, it's almost like a muscle. Mm-hmm. I know it's not a muscle. But it's got this malleability to it mm-hmm. where, yeah, I got that F, I got that D, I got that C, but hey, whoa, I'm actually going up. Yeah. This is why it's so important, I think, to keep your mark assignments. I know that's kind of crazy. Some people might think this is crazy, but I have every single copy of a marked essay starting grade at nine. Wow. All throughout... Uh, all throughout my undergrad, throughout grad, I have everything. Wow. And not that I do this all the time, but I like looking back at it because I can see that I've improved. Uh, I can see that I, you know, I could see the efforts that I'm making. And that is such a liberating feeling because, again, going back to what you were saying, it's a growth mindset. Like I can see that my brain is changing and growing and learning. Mm-hmm. And just that fact helps me to do even better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I can't say that I have kept every high school essay. I, think, <laughs> I know. I'm I think, a little bit crazy. <laughs> I think I would be a little too embarrassed. But I've definitely kept my first year essays because I found first year like really challenging mm-hmm. and demoralizing in a lot of ways. But it's amazing how much you can grow right. if you keep practicing. Yeah. So speaking of learning, I actually wanted to ask you – you know, now that it's study time, people are preparing for mm-hmm. final exams. How do you know if you've learned something? In other words, how do you know if you're studying effectively, if you have learned the material? I often feel... Okay, are you asking me as a learner? As a learner. Okay. So as a learner, what I do is... When I'm in the trenches, when I'm doing the work, mm-hmm. it's actually really hard to see it. But I often find that when I go through a three, four months of of an intensive semester and I walk away from it and I look back at my work, I move on to my next course feeling more confident in my capabilities. And that confidence, because I can look back and say, hey, I've produced X amount of work over this short period of time. If I feel more confident in my next step, wherever that next step is, maybe another course, maybe a job environment, whatever it is, I know I, I, my muscle, my brain muscles are growing. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So yeah, I, that's something that I also tell my students all the time is that you might not see it when I make you work hard right now, but I hope you see it when you walk away from this class and you look back and you can say, hey, I feel more confident about my writing. And you're willing to take on challenges that may feel daunting, may feel intimidating, but you know you've gone through it. Yeah, because you you know, hey, I could write this email because, and to make this pitch because I've written a five-page persuasive essay before. I know that I've improved because I feel more confident in myself for the next chapter. Mm -hmm. What about you? I've thought about this a lot. I've thought about this for years. Um, I think that I know that I've learned something as a learner, when I can actually teach it to someone else. That's a really good point. And that's actually translated in how I study. Hmm. So, I mean, I know some people are cue card people, but for me, I like to study by 
looking at notes or listening to a lecture and then copying it or paraphrasing it, sorry, in my own words. Okay. So I'm assimilating that information. Mm -hmm. And I am also a very verbal person. So I used to put my sister through horrible history lessons. And explain it to her. Yeah. And she'd be like, wow, Sarika, that's so boring. But I think I learned something, actually. (laughs) Um, And that's how I knew I learned something. That's actually, um, before we wrap up our episode, that's a great tip. Like, so... Your tip for the students would be then um, figuring out a technique that works for them. Absolutely. Some of us are, are oral learners. Some of us mm-hmm. are visual learners. Um, but whatever it is, you got to find yourself, find your learner self. Uh, yeah. And that's how you should be studying. And that takes a little bit of experimenting because sometimes if you haven't tried the technique, you don't know if it works for you or not. Exactly. Right? That's why I always tell my students as well. And, and for... Uh, for myself as well, I try various techniques. So for, for me, cue cards don't work. I write my notes by hand, but when I'm consolidating a lot of content, I'm a typer. So I like producing typed, I type my notes out into like chart format. And, you know, I, cause I don't like looking at chicken scratch because my writing can be chicken scratch, right? So I put all that aside. I put everything to typed notes and that's what I use. But again, that took years of trial and error to figure out what works for me. So tip for our students, find a technique that works for you. And if it works, stick with it. If it doesn't work, well, now you know it's not for you. So next time you strategize and you try something different. Exactly. And what my math teacher taught me in grade nine, and I didn't do well in math, to be honest, get a good night's sleep, drink some water. And eat a good breakfast. You know, somebody told me to always before an exam to um, eat tuna. Yeah, because that a protein will keep you yeah, full. Yeah. Do you ever get like really hungry during exams? Honestly, I used to get so excited about exams. <laughs> Such a nerd. <laughs> You're a weird one. I know. I, I would always bring, um, everybody has their own thing, but I always bring orange juice. Interesting. Pan, um, Thank you again for connecting really honestly and thinking so deeply about this, um, about sustainability, about waste, about studying. About grit. About pop culture. Yeah. Okay, Sirika, until next time. Adios. Adios.